What's up everyone, welcome to the North Leeds Jits podcast. Today we're joined by Professor Bradley Hill. Uh, I met Bradley once at one of his seminars, I really enjoyed it and I'm super excited to speak to him today. So thanks for being here Bradley. Uh, more than welcome, it's a pleasure to be on the show. Awesome man, so I mean there's so much to ask you about in, in an hour, but could you just give me and, and the listeners like just your background and how you started out into martial arts and how you started out into Jiu Jitsu? Yeah, uh, I actually started in Jeet Kune Do. So I started training when I was nine years old, got into it very, very early. Um, and I was, I was practicing Jeet Kune Do for about five years. And then halfway through this journey, I was training in one of the like local martial arts academies to, to the area that I lived in. Um, we met Victor Esteva. So he, he just walked <laughs> through the door with his big afro and uh, a, a beanie right. on. And I, I, we'd learned a little bit of jiu-jitsu and grappling through the Jeet Kune Do because it sort of encompasses a lot of different things. Yeah. Um, but when you, when you get into the sort of real stuff from someone that's from Brazil and that whole lineage, uh, it was unbelievable. So Victor was one of the coolest guys that I'd ever met at that point, still is. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, I just fell in love with jiu-jitsu pretty much immediately. So then... I started uh, competing. I did a I did a interclub at Gracie Baja Birmingham. I did the uh, British Open for the first time, and then just sort of once I got that avenue to, to compete, then put all of my eggs in one basket and moved to Gracie Baja Birmingham to train and uh, sort of went fully fledged into trying to compete and enjoy jiu-jitsu. So what, what was it that led you to the Jeet Kune Do in the first place? Was that your parents doing or had you had an interest in martial arts just naturally? Um, it was actually a little bit through uh, a little bit of bullying. So my dad had trained karate. So uh, I, I had a few issues at school. I was a little bit of a chubby, overweight kid. <laughs> so I had some a, a few problems and my dad started showing me uh, some like some karate and we had like a punch bag put up. So he showed me some some things that he knew. And then we had a flyer come through the door for this martial arts concepts. And then I went round uh, with my mom to go and see, and then pretty much all of us signed up. So there was uh, me, my sister, my twin sister joined as well. My mom joined, my cousins and her family. So Laura Barker, the uh, just won the Europeans this year, black belt in uh, jiu-jitsu as well. She joined in with us as well as her sister, Katie. And then it was a full family joining together and all training martial arts. It was brilliant. Wow, that was a good day for that Jeet Kune Do, Jeet Kune Do school, right? <laughs> they were buzzing. Yeah, everybody all together. <laughs> yeah, like 10 signups there, happy days. <laughs> yeah. People getting after it. So what was it about the Jiu-Jitsu you think that kind of sunk its hooks into you? Without the um, <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a good one. <laughs> I think it's just the, the limitlessness of Jiu-Jitsu. Like you, I'm still learning today. Like I've been training 17 years and I still pick up new techniques or find a variation of something to, to something I'm doing already. And I think it, it, that part of jujitsu that it's constantly evolving is what really draws me towards it. 
at the time we were doing a lot of like striking martial arts, but I feel like you get limited on how many combinations you can really throw with your hands. And of course, there's there's loads of different levels to to boxing and kickboxing and things. But I just got stuck in with with jujitsu and how technical it can be and how much you can learn within that that realm. Right. You know, something maybe you could give us some advice on is um, we've got a lot of members who have been very high level at what they do, whether it be like CrossFit or things like that. And I've now come mm-hmm. to Jiu-Jitsu and obviously are all beginning students and they can sometimes, yeah. they're getting a bit frustrated that they aren't as good as it, at it as they may have expected when they were doing Zoom classes online and, and that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. Do you still get kind of frustrated when you're learning like maybe some new new things you haven't looked at before or where's the growth kind of there? Um, I think you've got to come in with that white belt mentality. So even though you might, so for instance, I started uh, wrestling quite a lot recently. So I'm trying to learn how to wrestle, but that's refreshing to me because now I'm going into something that I am going to get took down all the time and get battered by a lot of guys. (laughs) Mm. And it's at the, at the beginning, you have to check your ego because I'm like, well, I'm a jujitsu black belt. I'm used to submitting everybody that I train with and having a good time and being in control. But then to me, the, the nice part to it is putting myself in that position where I'm the white belt again, that now you get this, instead of me just picking up like one small detail of a technique, now everything that I'm learning is completely brand new. And I'm like, wow, like the, my eyes are completely open to the world of wrestling. So then everything becomes quite enjoyable. So it's the same sort of thing with, if I transfer from any other skill. If I'm brilliant at one thing and then I start off at a much lower level in, in a new sport or a, a new discipline, then you just really need to jump in with both feet and enjoy that, that white belt uh, time. Because yeah. it's, it, it, it's one of the most exciting times when you're first learning something and it's brand new to you. And so I, I wouldn't rush in trying to get good at something. Really enjoy this this process. So just have as right. much fun as you can rolling around, not having a clue what you're doing. But just enjoy it. <laughs> For sure. I'm going to come back to both those points about the wrestling, but uh, probably Professor Mike. <laughs> well, how are you doing, bro? You okay? How's it going, man? Yeah, all good. <laughs> no, you we, you you won't remember me, I don't think. But we we did share them out a couple of times at Braulio's place ages ago. So, oh really? Um, good to see you again, man. Yeah, when you were when you were a little boy, mate. When you were a kid. Sure. Uh, that's how old I am. Uh, <laughs> what what belt was that? Oh, I don't know, man. I think you were a blue belt. I think you were a blue belt. Oh, yeah. We we kind of came up. So I'm under Victor. And we came up a similar yeah, yeah. kind of time, but like you and Ollie were like sixteen, eighteen, and I was like thirty. Uh-huh. And uh, I was just dipping it out and you guys were on it every single day. But uh, so good to see you again, bro. I'm going to apologize to you and everyone listening. I'm going to have to run to pick my kid up from school in 10 minutes. That's the life I'm living, mate. But um, you keep living the jiu-jitsu lifestyle. (laughs) (laughs) Killing it out there. Killing it. Uh, President, do you have any questions? Because I know you have to shoot off for Bradley that you wanted to ask, or do you want me to leave? I'd love to know what, uh, well, can we go controversial? You know me. I'd love to know what happened and why you're not in Gracie Baha anymore. I'd love to know that, but we can do that later. (laughs) I'd love to know, I'd love to know where you're, because you've you've got a a really, in my opinion, uh, I love your jiu-jitsu. Like Jen, I really love your jiu-jitsu, man. I think it's, you bring it. When I saw you on the latest Polaris, um, your fuse are really nice kind of eclectic mix of styles in my opinion with the wrestling and, and, and all that kind of good stuff. 
And I'd like to know kind of how you developed your game and where you see your game developing in the future. Because I, I do see you as a, and I've followed you obviously over time as a Gracie Bar athlete in the world and everything else. I'd like to see, understand how you approach your jiu-jitsu and how you develop yeah. yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I was saying earlier about how expansive jiu-jitsu is, and that's really what draws me to it, is the limitlessness of learning within jiu-jitsu. So there are so many avenues to go down. I mean, you could you could focus on guard forever and be a specialist in one particular area, or I like to be try to be good at everything, because it's just within my nature to try to learn as much as possible. So... Obviously, uh, during Blue Belt, Purple Belt, I was only a guard player. I had no passing at all, no understanding of top position. But then you start to learn that. Then you add in the leg locks and the heel hooks. And then now I'm introducing the sort of standing position. So, again, I think the the reason I've got such a broad style of jiu-jitsu is because I'm constantly trying to learn. I think a lot of people, especially when they get towards brown and black, is they know what they're good at and they stick with that. So it's like, oh, I'm a smash passer and I finish with a Kimura. And people are like, that's my game. And they don't deviate from that position. Whereas I try to be good at that thing and then immediately throw it away and say, okay, now can I try to be good at something else and become a master in as many fields as possible. So it's been quite helpful learning wrestling and trying to implement that into the style because I mean, I'm sure we'll talk a lot about wrestling during this anyway, but it, it really helps. The, just the philosophy of wrestling is so much, uh, so helpful towards your game, not even just the idea of having takedowns. So it's not just the ability to score two points at the start of a match. It's about the the brind and the finishing of shots. And when you get when you get stuck in a bad position to really fight out of it, because a lot of times in jiu-jitsu, we have this culture of being relaxed and calm down, bro. It's almost right of like the position, right? Yeah, yeah. Sort of accepting things and just going along with it because your technique will ultimately come out and you'll find a way to get yourself free, which, of course, I believe in wholeheartedly. But when you're in a five minute match on Polaris, sometimes you've got to go a bit faster and and drive out of position to really grind. So that that's one of the things that I think wrestling really helps with. Um, I'd love to start to learn some judo as well, because I think that works so well with, uh, especially in the gi. But yeah, and the other part to it is being in the melting part of Grace Barra Birmingham, we had a lot of different coaches, a lot of people with different styles, and uh, really opening myself up to a lot of instructionals. So my, my first instructional was with, um, uh, I watched a Cabrinha instructional. It was, uh, he was teaching in Portuguese and the subtitles were in Japanese. So I had no idea what he was saying. But I heard you speak about I, that on a podcast recently. Uh, uh, I've listened to yeah. a few that you did. Yeah. Uh, it, made me, it made me chuckle a little. <laughs> yeah. But that, that, was, that was awesome. So I, as I tried to learn from as many different people as possible and pick up as many different things as I can to really try to melt the game together. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, um, I'm I'm trying to learn like some of the wrestling stuff as well. Like I'm, I focus a lot on my stand-up uh, game, especially kind of at the moment where in oh, the last few months where it's only been me and Professor Mike training, where we have like the whole mat to ourselves. So we might as well yeah, just start. Yeah. We're always starting standing, right? Um, and I just for some reason I prefer the kind of wrestling style of takedowns to to the judo stuff. 
But it's, it's great to hear, you know, yourself. I, I like watching a lot of your um, stuff you put out in your wrestling, especially like the YouTube shorts you, that you do. Yeah, yeah. Um, those are awesome. I noticed you also, you do a lot of your wrestling in shoes. Is that because you want to just have, you want to get the pure kind of wrestling straight off uh, and then uh, kind of adapt that for like when you're not in shoes in jiu-jitsu? Because it makes a bit of a difference, right? Yeah. So it's it, you're not going to get sort of the the best grip when you're dropping down for like low singles and ankle picks. But mm. I think ultimately, like there are times where I'm constantly I'm wrestled all week. So I wrestled Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And yeah. if I'm making shots all the time and scraping my toes and things or getting mat burns, then right. it's just a, a lot easier uh, for, for life to, to put some boots on. That as well as, again, I want to immerse myself into the into the art. So as much as I've tried to do that with jiu-jitsu and learn that as much as possible, I also want to do that in wrestling. So I, mm-hmm. I I do try to learn how to pin people and the scoring mechanics of, of wrestling. So how to roll somebody and things that are completely almost useless for jujitsu. But the, there's, in my eyes, if I'm going to learn it, I may as well learn the full thing rather than just cut out 20% that's effective for the martial art that I also practice. I may as well try to get good at both things. Yeah, that's such a... Um... Uh, hum, I guess a humble thing to do you know I, I spoke to Professor Pedro Coelho who owns uh, Grace Baja Cascais in Portugal mm. and he has a similar thing but with judo right so he he went back uh, already like a second degree black belt in jiu-jitsu but then went back put his white belt on to get good at judo yeah. now he's like a brown belt and he's telling me like That's yeah cool. put the white belt on you know learn the, their style even if it won't adapt you know always perfectly to jiu-jitsu yeah, because I think obviously when someone says that this work, this translates well to jiu-jitsu, again, it's someone's individual opinion of this would work well. But again, there's so many different styles of jiu-jitsu and forms of grappling that you can pick up something and it could be as sort of so far out there on a particular technique. But then if you put enough time into it, you can make it work for you. So you see this a lot with sort of like the 10th planet style where it's very reliant on flexibility and mm. 90% of people can't use that effectively in their game because they're just not flexible enough to play a rubber guard or something else. But then you do have that those 10% that play it uh, brilliantly and they can use it in their game comfortably. Do you know what I mean? So it, instead of just saying well, that doesn't work at all, there are some parts that can be very, uh beneficial to like the mass that go across the jiu-jitsu so like i i recently did the wrestle jit so i'm trying to give an idea of what techniques work well for me in wrestling that i use in jiu-jitsu so then i show you a handful of techniques that i use in my sparring all the time but Mm. again if you're a different body shape to me or different body type then you might have uh extra long reach and you might be really good at ankle picks or you, you might be super strong and just I'd be really explosive and be great at a double leg. You know what I mean? I don't tend to use double legs too often, but you see someone like Nicky Rod who hits doubles, like blast doubles, taking both people off the air mm. at the same time. So I think it's that's why I, I find it so important to really immerse yourself into the, the practice itself is because I don't really think someone can tell you what's going to work well for you aside from what you can tell yourself will work well. Right. Um, I know 
Professor Mike had mentioned that you're going up to, and you don't have to confirm anything yet, but uh, Harrogate at some point to teach a seminar, I think, later in the year. Uh, and he, he mentioned in passing that he would love to have you up to teach a seminar here, maybe on some kind of stand-up stuff, which would be awesome. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that'd, yeah, that'd be so great, man. If we could organise that, that'd be great. We've got our first seminar. It's going to be Victor, actually. Um, awesome. It's like the 4th of July. Hey, what's your, have you got a good Victor Estima story for us? Because you've obviously known him for so long now. Yeah. Um, oh, wow. Victor Estima stories. The first time I travelled with him, me and, me and Ollie went to the Pan Ams. So we went to California. That was like one of the, one of the best trips that I've been on. Because I think it was the first time where I travelled without somebody. Like usually I was going with my mom to all the tournaments. So it's uh, mom in the corner cheering me on, saying, go on, Brad. Um, but the, when I went to the Pan Ams with Victor and Ollie, I think we were both purple belts. Um, the first first time I got there, I, I was proper jet lagged. So I fell to sleep pretty much straight away, just on top of the bed, not even under the covers. <laughs> and I just woke up like an hour later to Victor and Ollie just laughing at me. <laughs> I was like, what the hell? Like I'm spaced out. I thought, I honestly thought I'd peed myself. <laughs> I was like, well, how could they be laughing at me so much? Uh, and it, they they had put some toothpaste on my face <laughs> to try oh, to like, they, like try to, um, I don't know, put some toothpaste on. And they were just laughing, waiting for me to wake up. Um, and I just got, I, I had no idea what was going on, but yeah, that was, that was pretty great. And then I also got pushed in the pool by him as well. It was a, <laughs> a full week of just pranks and having fun being out in California. Was that, was that kind of on purpose? Because obviously you're there to like compete. So it keeps things like hard. Does that keep you kind of keep the nerves down? Yeah. I mean, that, that's just the culture of uh guys at a room and being on a trip with each other do you know what I mean? right. like it, the thing when whenever we go to compete like a, there's been a lot of times where we'll travel with the uh, grace bar nottingham guys um and then there's a full house of like 10 or 12 people and no matter how how focused you want to be on the competition you can't help yourself but enjoy your time in california i mean you're in a beautiful place the, the sunshine and you're around your friends so the first 10 days of it you're just loving life and laughing and joking with your mates and then eventually the the sort of night before the competition then it dawns on you that actually you're here for a world championship mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you get it back into like where the nerves creep back in and you struggle to sleep and things like that but I think no matter how hard you try to focus when you're around your friends, you're you're going to be uh, brought out of that and just forced to have fun. And a lot of times that's where you're going to have the best performance is when you're not trying to force anything. So instead of me trying to say, I need to be focused or start pacing up and down to try and get ready for a match, there's no idea of really getting ready. It is the, like being ready naturally so at any point I could grapple with somebody and I could do well or I could do bad the outcome is completely out of my control I just have to be ready to perform when the time comes right so I think a lot of times the the more fun and relaxed I am the better the performance is because otherwise you start to tense up you hold on to things you start 
the negative thoughts of thinking what could potentially happen. So the longer you can get into that mindset of just being completely chilled out and having fun with your friends, I think the better you're, you're going to perform. Awesome. Is that, uh, is that just for you or do you also give that advice to kind of maybe new students that are looking to compete for the first or first few times? Yeah. I mean, the thing with competing is like I've been competing for 12 years and every single time that I go to competition, it's always a new experience and what you did for the previous competition can't be replicated for the next one. Do you know what I mean? It's not like you can say, well, that worked really well for me. I'm just going to have the same style. And every time I get there, I'm going to do 10 push-ups. I'm going to breathe hard and I'm going to listen to this playlist because eventually you get fed up with the music you're playing and then you get, uh, that doesn't do it for you anymore. So it's not necessarily having this external source to be ready, but just accepting the fact that I am nervous. I'm scared (laughs) to go and compete, (laughs) but I'm going to do it anyway. And it's within that, that the courage seeps through and the action can take place. So I think, yeah, my advice to a lot of people would just be to go out and have fun. I think a lot of people put a little bit too much pressure on themselves to perform. So like the last Polaris, I was with uh, Jamie Paxman and uh, Tyrone Elliott. We were both in in the room with each other, laughing and joking the day of the squads. So there was no like, okay, I need my space now. Let me go into my zone and get ready. I was still laughing and joking with Jamie and Tyrone backstage before the matches and during the matches. So, yeah, I think the more you can get into just this natural atmosphere, the the better. Um, kind of keeping on like a, a similar vein. You know, you're so well known for your Oma Platter um, that you got the you know nickname Oma Platter Man. As if any as anyone that kind of Google's Google's you know Bradley Hill now. If anyone's listening, was like oh, I want to know more about Bradley. You'll hear a lot about his Oma Platter, and it's. You know, we were speaking to Pedro Marino uh, recently on the podcast, and he's really, really well known for his guillotine and stuff. Mm. Do you advise students to kind of have the, like a, a special move, something they get really good at and know really well? Uh, yeah, I mean, especially at a, a lower belt, I think having a finishing move is the most important thing to go into a competition. Just because it... It's something that you need to be able to pull out of your pull out from your sleeve. If I'm losing a match and I can catch somebody in submission, like some especially something like a guillotine, I mean, that, that you can go from losing 20 nil and somehow catch a guy's neck and you've won the fight. So it's always helpful to have that that submission ready and available whenever you need it. And it really helps you to build a game around a particular thing. I think sometimes when we're at white and blue belt, we're struggling to have an idea of what we should be practicing or uh, the just the the direction that I should be going in. Should I focus on this? Should I play on top? Should I pull guard? Should I go for takedowns? You, a lot of times you can have that constant battle. And sometimes when you go to competition, if you just know, I, this is, the, so for me, uh, my platter is the best position. I'm going to pull guard immediately because I need to get to that guard for me to use that submission then it just really centers you and focuses on what you want to do in the match. 
And then obviously from that point, then I can build separate A games and say, okay, this person's got really good passing. So now I'll wrestle. But at the beginning, you don't have all these tools to say, okay, well, I can use this for the job. So you need to make sure you, you're particularly good at one aspect and force that aspect in the match. Like I, one thing that I use as an example is if, if I'm a great tennis player, but I'm only good on the AstroTurf, then I shouldn't be accepting matches on clay and grass mm-hmm. and everything else, you see. So I need to make sure that I put the, the ball in my court and make sure I'm forcing a particular game. So I couldn't let somebody pull guard on me first. I have to make sure I play bottom position, things like that. So I think once you have uh, a focus and a direction as to where you want the match to go, then you're already a step ahead from the guy that's still questioning 15 minutes before it's about to fight. Uh, coach, should I go for a takedown or should I pull? <laughs> right. uh, I don't know, bro. <laughs> Man, I'm, I'm trying to think about kind of like putting myself in, in your shoes a little bit, like starting jiu-jitsu at 12 with all these like killers around, like Victor and Braulio and Ollie and all, mm-hmm. these, all these guys. Like you must have learned so much about just adversity and, and going through kind of tough times and having – bad days on the mat where you just kind of like want to walk off and cry and, mm-hmm. and what what kind of advice do you give to people now like have with that kind of background like having been through been through so many amazingly tough roles I'm sure yeah it's just a matter of uh, accepting it and enjoying it again so it, like especially when I was a kid I was training with a lot of the adults and you get to a point where you get so good as a kid that then it gets past the point where people are like, oh, he's a kid. Because <laughs> right. a lot of people, when you first start training, I'm a yellow belt or orange belt, I'm good, but it's it's fun to roll with because you're just moving around with the kid in the class. Mm-hmm. Until the kid gets good and then he starts strangling you. <laughs> and you're like, Shit, I don't want to train with a kid anymore because now I'm getting beat up by <laughs> someone that I shouldn't be beat up by. So then yeah, we you, had, um... you either... Oh, God. Uh, I was just going to say, we had a... I worked at Gracie Bar Bondi for a little bit and there was a kid there called Hugo who's like 14, like an orange and white belt and he had a nasty loop choke. And if he caught yeah. you with it, he was going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you, you get to a point where either people, when they do train with you, they want to go hard as possible because they can't get beaten by the kid or they don't want to train with you at all to save the humiliation. So then you, then what ends up happening is people start to go harder and then the level increases again. And then mm. you start training with better and better people. So then you're no longer beating people you're training with. You're getting smashed again. And it's this constant cycle of being bust up in training, stuck in bottom side control at the time, not knowing how to get out from side control. <laughs> so you just crush beneath somebody and then you think, wow, I should have done something differently. And you try and do that in the next round. Mm. Um, but yeah, the, the just like with training today, I'm still trying to force myself to train with people that can bust me up so I can still be the quote unquote hammer or the nail. Do you know what I mean? Because you can't have every day being the hammer and destroying everybody because then one, you're you're not necessarily putting yourself in any area of discomfort and you're not going to be learning as much. So I also don't think that you need to be the nail all the time and getting battered in all of your training either. So that doesn't necessarily help. So you need a, a good balance of of having roles with people that you can quite easily beat and then you can practice techniques on. So 
for instance, when I first when I first started learning how to pass guard as, as a brown belt, <laughs> embarrassing, but I pretty much had no idea of how to pass guard, and the closed guard was my mortal enemy. Absolutely hated the position. There was one guy in the class that always triangled me, and if I got to close guard, I may as well just tapped out because the my fate was sealed. Right, so I decided, okay, enough is enough. Instead of me running away from the closed guard. I have to practice this position. I have to force myself into it. Now, if I train with my brown belt and black, I was a brown belt at the time. So if I train with my brown belt and black belt friends, I'm going to get smashed inside the clothes guard. So I have to go to the, uh, one of the white belts. and say, hey, bro, could you put me in clothes guard? I'm going to see if I can get out of your clothes guard. And I escape. I get swept. I escape. I'm getting comfortable with the positions, discovering what passes work well for me what methods of sort of standing. And then once I can comfortably pass that white belt's guard, then I say, okay, I grab the next blue belt. I say, hey, bro, can you put me in clothes guard? Right. And I do the same thing until I can go back training with my friends that are brown and black belts. Mm -hmm. And now I can survive on the clothes guard and I can build up my resistance in that particular position. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a, a similar thing when you're training like as a white belt or blue belt. You've got to make sure you have some roles where you can beat your partner and you can use that time to practice some new things. So if you just watch the new technique on YouTube or you see something cool, you want to give that a try in class, then you need to be using that on the guys that you can comfortably beat. You also need some rounds against people that are going to squash you and you need to work on your defense. So you go and pick the brown belts, purple belts, black belts, and you get crushed a little bit. And then you also need to train with the other blue belts that are just as tough as you are. And you're going to have a really solid role. And maybe you score like it's 2-2 and I got a sweep and the other person got a sweep. And that was a, a good round for developing sort of toughness and your competition game, Jeremy, you know I your, your A-game style techniques. I think if you can build your training around all of those aspects and you have like one round of being able to practice new things, a few rounds of going head to head with someone that's close to your level and another round where you're getting crushed by somebody and you're <laughs> tasting a bit of defeat in bottom side control, then you're on your way to leveling up all aspects of your, of your game. That's amazing, man. Like, um, it, do you have like your own kind of unique style of teaching? Cause you, you obviously had so, a lot of great teachers. Did, did any, have you taken little bits from everyone and made your own kind of thing? What's your kind of philosophy around that? Uh, yeah, I would say so. I, I, I take things, it, again, it's, it comes back to the Jeet Kune Do philosophy of take what's useful and remove what's not. Um, so if I go to a school and I really enjoy the way someone is showing a certain technique or a certain detail, then it's like, okay, that's a little nugget. Add that into the, into the teaching style and things like that. And again, you need to adapt it for certain students. So I'm quite fortunate where I have a few people that I teach directly because there's, there's a difference between coaching and going with someone to a competition and then being there for them, consoling them on the losses and celebrating their victories and strictly teaching a class. If right. I put a class on, on, on a Monday and I'm teaching 30 guys, then I can't give everybody the same level of attention that I would give to a competitor that I'm helping prepare for a world championship, right? So in that case, I try, if I'm in a class, I'm trying to 
relay the technique as well as possible for everyone to understand depending on the level. So these are, say, an Americana. I break it down to these simple steps. These are the most important things you need to know. If you can add this in, then great, but don't worry if you can't. Whereas I'm also going to have classes with people that are preparing for competition that now you've got to develop them sort of not only physically, but also emotionally as well. So somebody might might have had a really tough time and they got battered in training and it's a week before the competition. And then they think, oh, man, how am I supposed to win if I get beaten in the class and things like that? And then you say, well, listen you're not going to be training with 90 kilo men at your uh, competition. You're 70 kilos in the female division. Don't worry. <laughs> it's supposed to happen. So relax uh, and let's let's try this next time. You know I mean? And then there's also some people that have been a little bit lazy and maybe not putting as much effort into training where then you need to take a different approach and say, come on, bro, and let's put some more effort into your training. I want to see you on these days. Come in, let's do some more training. So the teaching style is adapted to each uh, environment and each person. So it's going to be different as to a coaching style versus a teaching style. So if I'm teaching a class, it's one particular thing. If I'm coaching somebody, it's it's another route altogether. And then within that, within those coaching, there's going to be people that learn different ways. So like a lot of times if I'm teaching uh, Laura, I'll show something and then sometimes I'll get frustrated because we're so close with each other. So family, um, and then I'll show something. She won't, won't get it straight away. I get a little bit frustrated and then she'll say to me, Brad, I know you can do it. I need to do it. <laughs> so I'm like, look, look at this, Laura. Look, let me show you again. So then I have to come out of that and say, okay, let's have a little bit more patience. Let's try and uh, change the technique this way. Because as a teacher, there isn't necessarily something, if someone doesn't understand what I'm showing, that's my fault, not the individual's. So I need to find a way of relaying that information better to fit that person. Because obviously there's so many different learning styles as well. It's amazing, yeah. Um, do you, I mean, because you don't have your own school, right? But you just you no, have no. a small, yeah. Do you do you feel still more like a student of jiu-jitsu than a teacher, or is there a balance there, or what's that like? Uh, I think there's a good balance. I, I've been te- obviously I've been teaching since I was sixteen, so wow. pretty much uh, uh, as soon as I got my blue belt, I was running the kids' classes in Birmingham, and then pretty much took over the whole kids program by the time I was 17, 18. And then I was doing adult classes from that point once I got my purple belt. And then I was running all the competition program and everything else. So Mm. I've been heavily involved in teaching from an early age, but just because I enjoy teaching so much, I like sharing a lot of techniques. So (laughs) one one instance is I had a private lesson with the Mendes brothers. This was straight after the ADCC. So they they did a I think they did a seminar in Birmingham, and then I booked a private lesson with them. And I at the time I didn't do privates. It's not like I booked in every week with somebody. This was I think probably the first private lesson I'd ever done. Haffer's foot was was black and blue from being heel hooked in the finals of ADCC. So I ended up just getting to roll with uh, Guillaume for basically like forty minutes straight. And then as soon as I finish, I was like, guys. Let me show you the burn bowler. <laughs> and it's not because I necessarily 
wanted to teach people at the time mm-hmm. it was my way of learning jiu-jitsu so if I could explain it to you then I have to understand the position mm-hmm. so when I'm in that situation I'm like okay you grab this way and you make this grip and you rotate in this direction then it forced me to understand the the position a lot better. So my mom would tell me off. Like she she just paid for this private lesson for me. She's like, Brad, what are you showing everybody techniques for? <laughs> so you, you you just pay you just pay for that uh, that private lesson. Now you're showing everybody how you're supposed to hit that sparring. And I said, Mom, <laughs> if I if I could do it in sparring after showing these people, then I have to yeah. be really good at the move. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So wow. a, a lot of people think about holding back. A, te- a certain technique because you oh I need to be able to still have my edge on my training partners mm-hmm. so I, I won't show them everything I do or you see this in a lot a lot of black belts where somebody will ask them about a particular move that they specialize in and then at the end they'll give you a little wink and they'll say oh I didn't show them that part though <laughs> and they, they leave a little detail out so when you go to do the footlock on them they still have a way of escaping or something along those lines right Right. Whereas in my eyes, if I show you something wrong, then or, or I don't show you 100% of the technique, then when you ultimately try to do it to me, then I know that I'm defending against a substandard version of that particular technique. So mm-hmm. if I were fighting myself, I would have been tapped in that position. But because I didn't translate that very well over to the person, now I'm able to escape. And oh, my ego is so, so proud. I've got to stroke it a little bit because I escaped right. the position I showed them. Whereas in my eyes, if I can show you everything that I, everything that I know and then I can still hit the moves on you, then I have, a, again, a, I have to continuously improve my understanding of that particular subject. Mm. Yeah, that's like the harder road, but it, you're so right, man. It sounds like yeah, because really it ultimately leads to the progression, right? Yeah. Because the in, I think with most coaches, the sign of a good coach is having a student that can eventually beat you, right? Yeah. So you don't want to be this coach that is just destroying everybody and training every day, and nobody ever touches you, and you're like the the king of the castle, because eventually. It, you're, you must not be doing your job well enough if people aren't getting close to you because you're not mm. showing people and not developing the group. So in, I want to get to a point where my students are busting me up and I'm like, okay, <laughs> you guys are at the top now. Go and compete, enjoy yourselves. And I'm just in, having fun in jiu-jitsu again, just teaching techniques. Hopefully that's when I get to masters and <laughs> still a while away. <laughs> but that, that's the, the goal eventually. Mm. I think it was um, Professor Tom Harris who was saying a little bit about that to us. He was saying, like, uh, when his students get to, you know, his level, that's when he can start to learn again because they're mm. going to push him to, to then, you know, adapt his game and do things even better, right? Um, we're hoping to start a competition team uh, here as soon as we can, basically. We've already got lots of people asking about it and inquiring. Is there anything, you know, we've been teaching for a lot of years now, as you said, um, where you can set up an, an environment for an comp team class that you found has worked really well or um, that's worked really well for you or anything like that? Hmm. Well, I think the, the competition team just really adds to the community aspect of your training because you, you, when you start martial arts, you're immediately joining part of a family as opposed to 
just going and exercising for 30 minutes and then going home. So when as soon as you start your membership and you put a gi on and you tie your belt and you're all wearing the same gis, you're now part of the same family. So it and especially training martial arts, it's it's you have to put a lot of trust in your training partners because you are rolling 100%. You're trying to strangle another person, right? You're trying to break somebody's arm. Obviously, they tap before that happens, but you, you're placing a lot of trust in, in your partner to not hurt you and for you to not hurt them. So you're already building this bond. The competition team just takes that to another level because now instead of just training with each other twice a week, you've now got to push each other to make sure you're reaching your limit as a, as an individual and leaving everything that you have on the mats because you want to be as fully prepared for the competition coming up. So you need to make sure, first of all, that you're not only coming to training when you feel like it, but you're going to train because your partners need you. You see, you, you now become really right. part of the team because now everybody else is, is needs you. Do you know what I mean? Like if I show up, and I need to prepare for Polaris and all my friends are like, oh, my back hurts or my knee's a bit stiff and I don't feel like going tonight. I'm going to be on Modern Warfare. And it's like, guys, <laughs> come on, I, I need your help. We need to get to the competition. You're, you're immediately forced into that team aspect where you're not only thinking about yourself anymore, and, and which is one of the funny things with jiu-jitsu is obviously – we we train in teams and we prepare in competition for teams, but then ultimately you're an you're an individual once you step out onto the mat. But you also wouldn't be there ready to step on the mat if it weren't for those people beforehand. So it's this like strange phenomenon. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I think it obviously super helpful to have that competition class because you need to be able to push each other, drive, and and now the the intensity of training will change a little bit. You have to focus on certain things, play your A game positions now is where where i spoke about earlier where you have those rounds to try to test out new techniques now you've got to throw that away a second and now it's full competition mode and no matter who you train with it's uh pull guard on the platter try to get the tap okay done go again pull guard on the platter do you know what I mean? rather than me using uh, trying to test different things um changing kind of subjects a bit uh, professor but uh, you've, you've traveled uh, all around the world with kind of jiu-jitsu, right? And, you know, I loved your vlogs in Japan and stuff like that. And um, I just wondered where you'd kind of traveled that you really liked or where have you traveled where you received maybe the warmest welcome through jiu-jitsu or just any travel stories you like, really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, Tokyo was an unbelievable trip. Um, everybody was super friendly over there. And it's just such a completely different culture. It's like mm. uh, walking into a Nintendo game. Wow. <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> and the, everything's, uh, all of the guys that train in, in Tokyo are very friendly, very respectful. There was uh, uh, there's so many people on the mats there that they were holding up jigsaw mats in between to stop people from, yeah. from rolling into each other, <laughs> things like that. So it was, um, it, it, that was really fun. The same in sort of Brazil. I've been to Rio and Sao Paulo. Uh, so been able to train over there and get get um, get some really good training. I've been to the favelas and trained with some of the kids from inside the favela that are unbelievably talented. Um, but yeah, I mean, to me, the, there's nothing better than England. I do do love home, <laughs> so it's, it is nice to just go and travel between the different schools. That's what has sort of been 
quite nice during this period is obviously I haven't really had any classes to teach. I've not been fixed in one particular location. So I've been able to go and visit my sister in Newcastle and train at her school, 222. I've been able to uh, go to Birmingham and work on my wrestling. I've been to um, uh, Wales and trained with Ashley Williams at the Chris Rees Academy. So I've really had a lot of flexibility to just go and train wherever. Um, and then again, at this point, it's now just going and visiting friends, really. Like you, you the, the sort of, uh, what's the word for it? But the, the product of visiting your friends is having some good training. I mean, but you're not necessarily going all the time just to get training. That's just like, that's just one of the things that happens when you meet each yeah. other. <laughs> so that that's one of the, the beauties of being involved in jiu-jitsu is now pretty much all of my friends are black belts or people that I train with and uh, we have really good roles and other people that help me prepare for my big competitions. Um, so yeah, it has been really nice over the last few months just to have that flexibility, but back to the traveling. Yeah, I think I think Tokyo is uh, is number one. Is there a big culture of martial arts there? Is it does it feel different? Like, does it is that highly kind of honoured? Like the martial arts kind of culture and way? Um, I think they they have with uh, judo and jujitsu very much, um, but it doesn't feel any different to just going to any regular jujitsu gym. That, that that's the the strange thing when. You, you sort of feel at home anytime you step on the mats, once you're used to stepping on the mats. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, it, it doesn't matter too much to me whether or not it's the mats that I'm used to at home or if I'm going to somebody else's academy because you very quickly become part of the, again, extended family and the, the welcoming feeling comes in. That was one of the, one of the great things with... Um, being at Gracie Barha was then going over to the Gracie Barra HQ and then having all these people that I've never met before that are unbelievably friendly. And it's like, oh, how's it going, Bradley? I'm like, how, how do you know who I am? <laughs> who <are you? laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, like, because um, me and Laura went to California for about a month to do some training. So we we had, like, competitions booked up every weekend. I think we did the the Nogi Pan Ams. We did the Nogi Worlds. We did the, like, World Expo and the Long Beach Open. So we had, like, this full trip. And then we were staying out in California, and I didn't really know anybody out there. But you go and train a couple of times, and then people are saying, oh, do you want to go grab some food, driving us? Because at the time, we, we weren't driving either, so we were taking taxis everywhere. So it gets very expensive. So then people are just like saying, hey, bro, what, what are you doing? And I'm like, nothing really. So then they go and take me to the, their favorite like burrito place or they go and take me for some sushi. And then you you just get immersed in this culture of people just looking after you because you're part of the team. And you're another guy that trains jiu-jitsu. Do you know what I mean, what I was saying earlier about sort of becoming part of the family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Professor, I think like Gracie Baha and, and the other schools I've visited um, around the world and stuff, that's one of my favourite things about it is like how, welco- how welcoming everyone is and they make you mm-hmm. feel part of the family, uh, especially in, in Gracie Baha clubs. But I just wanted to ask you, um, what, what do you feel uh, Gracie Baha does well? Maybe it's that. Or, and what do you feel they could do better? Or if there's something that they do badly, you know, just they need to get rid mm-hmm. of. Um, 
I mean, I I think Grace Barra is, is one of the best organizations in jiu-jitsu. Um, as you can see, everything is sort of to the highest level of professionalism when you start to compare it with other associations. There's a lot of things that are put in place, the uniform structure, the curriculum, that being connected with the 700, 800 schools worldwide. I mean, it's something that isn't necessarily replicated uh, with other organizations uh, as well as what Grace Bar has been able to do it to. Um, so they are excellent in, in that aspect of, like we said, the, the ability to go and train in any area of the world. And you can typically find Grace Bar School and the guy that you, you walk in, other guy will shake your hand, say, how's it going, brother? And welcome on the mats and you're there training again. So and I, I think that really helps to, again, constantly feel welcomed in a particular place because you do have that opening and everything feels so familiar. Do you mean the, you're going to see the blue mats. You're going to wear the same uniform. You're going to have a very similar style of class. Um, and then you could also go and sort of learn from some of the legends in the sport. You can go and train with someone like Homolo Bahal or Felipe Pena. So you have access, you sort of have a, a lot of the best of both worlds. Um, there's a, a common criticism to so sort of it becoming a little bit too corporate. Uh, some people don't like the uniform. I do. I think I think uniforms are sort of the next step in jiu-jitsu anyway. And I think even if you're going to tell people that you can only wear white geese or that you can't have this patch, then it's just a, a an extension of a uniform policy. So if you're going to tell somebody what they can or can't wear, then you may as well tell them you can wear this gi and this is our club gi. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Right. I don't really see the difference in that or saying you can't wear this color. So I, I don't really have too much problems going down that route. I, I'm all for yeah. it. Yeah, I like the uniform stuff, um, to be honest as well. Like me and Mike both have kind of a military background. So it's kind of, it feels very similar of like, like we're one team, you know, mm -hmm. you don't have football players or anything like picking their own kind of kit. <laughs> so Yeah, yeah. They're rocking up with the Nikes or the Adidas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, I appreciate we're kind of running low on, low on time here, Professor. But um, I just wanted to ask you another question or two. Um, for you, you know, being a martial arts since you're nine years old, uh, what does it mean to be a martial artist? Wow, that's a good, that's a good, good question. <laughs> what does it mean to be a martial artist? I think really... A martial artist is ultimately someone that shows good character. It doesn't matter how good you are at a particular art. You see, I could be a world champion level or I could be a white belt, but there is a certain level of honor and respect within martial arts that I think sometimes get lost, especially with uh, sort of MMA and we saw the sort of boxing circus the other day as well. There's the chance to be a little bit of disrespect thrown around and people glorifying the trash talking a little bit too much. And I think we forget the roots of the idea of uh, sort of being a disciplined individual with respect towards uh, people that came before you. So I think that one of the biggest things is just your character as a human being, because I think that's one of the most important things when you do learn martial arts. It's one of the most uh, rewarding things to me as a teacher especially when I used to teach kids is you'd have a child walk through the door 
that barely wanted to step on the mats, was crying, looking at the other kids training. And it's like, mommy, I don't want to do it. And then a month later, he's playing with all the other kids, running around and enjoying his classes. And he's asking me, oh, coach, can I do this? Or can you show me this technique? And immediately uh, becomes part of the team and really feels comfortable on the mats like everybody else does in the class. So to me, I, I really love that idea of the character development. The same with uh, adults. You, you hear this all the time about jujitsu changed their life and it goes from, it brings somebody out of like a deep depression or it brings them out of uh, drug abuse and things like that, where they can then completely turn their life around because you now have this new obsession. I mean, a, a lot of people get addicted to jujitsu and it's a very real addiction, but it's one of the good addictions in life. Um, and I don't know whether it's just me. I, I seem to have an obsessive personality anyway, but I think a lot of people get addicted with, with jujitsu. It's one of those things that you can't just train twice a week. Do you know what I mean, a lot of people, when you first walk in, you say, oh, you, as long as you come twice a week, you should be all right. By the time you train your first class, you just want to be there every day. It's one, one of those nice things about training. Um, so yeah, I would say the biggest thing about being a martial artist is not about what you know, but how you present yourself as a as a human, whether or not you have good good character. Amazing. Uh, lastly, then, Professor, um, is there anyone you think in the jiu-jitsu community, either they can be as well known as you like, or no one knows them at all, uh, that you think has a really good story to tell and, and we should have on to speak to next? And if so, like, oh, wow. what question do you think we should ask them? What would be a good question to ask? Wow. I don't know, man. Hmm. Who to have on? Who have you had on so far? Well, we've had a lot of uh, GB athletes. So we've had like, um, recently comes to mind, we've just had Professor Piano at Gracie Baja West Chase. Then we had yeah, Pedro yeah. Marino, Anna Laura. Um, we, had, we had Victor on. Yeah. Um, my mind's blanking, but we just had a guy out uh, under Half Gracie um, who's yeah. visiting us. We had him on. He was quite cool. Nice. Um, yeah. Well, one of my favorite guys in uh, is Otavio Souza. He's always uh, brilliant to talk to. And you have sort of like him being a three time world champion at Black Belt. It's one of those guys that just gets things done. I mean, no matter how difficult it might be, he sort of just sort of grinds through adversity anyway. Like I watch him fight some of his matches and I have a lot of memories from the world championships and sort of because a lot of times we're there sort of supporting Victor at the time, watching him grind through the fight, uh, through the matches and trying to get to the the finals. And then Otavio's on the other side because we're in the same division. But it, it, it's such a killer's row, that middleweight black belt division, which I'm right. now a part of. <laughs> uh, but uh, you, you see someone like Otavio that just sort of uh, gets it done. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes not the prettiest way. Sometimes it is. Do you know what I mean, you'll see him hit beautiful amapatas as well. A very big influence on my amapata game. <laughs> um, but it, a lot of the things that you, you see him compete and he just sort of wins. It's one of those things where he just has a winning mentality. No matter what position he gets put in or who he faces, whether it's the new crop of talent where some of the, the newer middleweights, he just finds a way to to win every time to beat them. 
and it, it's not with anything new or outrageous. Do you know what I mean? It's it's a, a game that he's been developing since he's probably a blue belt. The same sweep, grab the sleeve, kick the person, pass the hand, boom, up on top. If the guy tries to get away, you pull him back, you yank him down to the floor. Do you know what I mean? Um, I, I do like like to talk to Otavio. He's one of my favorite guys. And I think that would be very interesting to just talk to him about the the winning mindset and how to how to win at all costs that sounds awesome yeah we'll reach out to professor Otavio at Huntington Beach right yeah um then lastly uh professor is there anything uh if people want to reach out and um no more about you got some uh, instructionals out any recent ones in particular that you want people to check out yeah, uh, I just released the Houdini series, which is uh, the escapes course. Uh, so this is one. This one's focused on submissions. We're having positional escapes come soon as well. Uh, so the new Houdini series is based on how to escape from the most common submissions: uh, arm locks, triangles, and platters, uh, knee bars, foot locks, or all those different things. How to stay avoiding the submissions, um, and then I've also got all of the the other courses already on there, the Amapata Man from day one, the Galaxy Guard, the Bradaconda. We've got a few different things coming. We have a few lined up as well. Uh, so there is the Wrestle Jits coming soon that I filmed recently with my wrestling coach. That one's very exciting for for the uh, for that to come out. Uh, oh, yeah. And then obviously, yeah, yeah. Um, and obviously I've got my YouTube channel too. There's, every week I put out a new technique on a Tuesday for tech is tuesday so if you want to uh, get on that subscribe that's been booming at the moment i'm up to eleven thousand subscribers which i'm very very happy with so if you can help Good me out and that, subscribe. Do, you, do you do you do all the editing for that or do you have someone out do you have that outsourced uh no no i, I do all the editing really wow well, the edit's a great man so i, I was really impressed Thank by the very much. quality of it yeah, it, yeah. It yeah, we, we've took a bit of a level up this year. Um, I've been making videos. The first one that I properly did was the Day in the Life video. It was one of right. my first, of first videos that I th- was really popular at the time, Day in the Life of a BJJ competitor. And if I watch that back now and it's it's so awkward to watch because the, the editing is completely different to what I'm able to do now. But mm-hmm. it's just time. I, I really enjoyed watching vlogs uh, and I thought, Nobody's nobody else is really doing this in jiu-jitsu, so I'd try and show a different aspect to it. Uh, and then I've been able to develop what we have now. So I I work alongside uh, my sister and Tyrone um, with sort of the media side of things. So a lot of time my sister will be filming. I'll be working with Tyrone on camera, and then we'll edit up the clips. So there will be Tyrone editing or me editing, and then boom, there's your instructional or boom there's your youtube video so yeah and it's a lot more work than people kind of realize doing doing a lot of that so <laughs> yeah uh, yeah so um, yeah what goes uh, into a, a five minute clip is yeah. uh, is quite a considerable amount of hours <laughs> for sure man well uh, professor you know um thank you so much uh, for spending time with us if you stay on the line we'll, we'll say bye but then we'll close things up after we start the recording uh, but i just wanted to say thank you so much for spending the time and giving us all your advice oh you're more than welcome